Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Film School podcast. Today's guest is Michael Wallach. He is a Hollywood screenwriter who created the film The Bay, directed by Oscar winner Barry Levinson, who is famous for Wag the Dog, The Natural, Rain Man, and so much more. We talk a little bit about creating a found footage movie, how he broke into Hollywood as a screenwriter, and the project that he's working on right now as a documentarian uh, in the process of trying to get that moving. You're going to really enjoy today's conversation. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Michael Wallach. Uh, Before we dive into any of the questions about career, about you know, filmmaking about the work you're doing right now. I want to go back to the very beginning. Like, tell me a little bit about childhood, Michael, uh, what was going on in your life? What were your, what were your uh, influences, uh, kind of feelings at that time? Um, I mean, I don't know. I was, I was like an insanely boring kid, like very, um, kind of just like a run of the mill. Um, like I'm, I'm working on this, um, I'm working on this, uh, new script about lemmings and 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 one of the lemmings is called like his name is just a lemming i feel like basically i was just a lemming um i I don't i I mean maybe that's a little harsh but uh you know i i loved uh i did love acting but i loved everything else too i like soccer and basketball and you know so you were a, st- a standard and... edition child. Straight yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's really, um, you know, whatever. Uh, so I, I don't know if there's any great nuggets uh, that that can be found there. You know, I, I, I grew up my, I'm 46. So, um, you know, I grew up, you know, first generation of Top Gun and Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark and E.T., and um you know those were those were like you know sort of seismic events when a movie like that came out um in my childhood uh, it was a big deal so yeah. it was fun and, was it uh, was it seismic in a sense i mean where it made you like want to be those characters or was it something where you're like how do they make the because I, I just i look at that period of time and i'm like how do you watch movies and not want to be a filmmaker like it seems like there'd be some some impression there like what was that impact on you oh definitely i mean first of all i wanted to be indiana jones like i still want to be indiana jones you know who who doesn't like i have the leather jacket it's like so dorky but you know like i still like feel like wow that that was that was it that's the guy that i want to be and um so there was that and then yeah i mean my friend and i my my friend andy had a um you know, he had like a high eight, uh, video camera. This is like mid eighties. Uh, and you know, he was like the first one in our, of our friends to get that. So we used to go off and we used to make these, um, Kung Fu movies because we figured out that, um, we figured out that if we fought, um, at a normal speed, a relatively normal speed, um, and then we, we, we played it on the TV on double speed, 
it would look awesome. Like it would look like yeah. a real kung fu movie, you know? So we had to teach ourselves to, how to like speak really slowly so that, you know, when you played the tape at double speed, it would, um, everything would work out. Mm. Uh, but that's like, you know, 1980s kids, special yeah. effects stuff. Um, we even figured out how to do some like green screen stuff. And so we were like playing around, you know, it was this like hapless Kung Fu expert um, who um, always attacked the wrong guy. Right. That was like our, that was our running, like our running joke, running series. And it was fun. It was really great. Um, yeah. I never really thought anything was going to come of it, but sure. um, you know. Yeah. What did you think was on the horizon for you? Like, did you have any plan for like, oh, this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. This is the direction. Did you have pressure to be anything specific or? Uh, no, I mean, I was kind of, as I said, I was kind of like, just like uh, figuring it out one day at a time. Um, movie making kind of seemed like, too glamorous for me like it seemed mm. too far afield like like the kind of thing that I was never actually going to be able to do I didn't even really imagine it um right. for a while I do remember um when I was in college finally sitting down to watch The Graduate mm. and um that to me felt like a different kind of movie um yeah. it sort of blew my mind all of a sudden there was this movie that um, it wasn't like some grand adventure that I could be a part of. It's just felt like it, the whole, somebody had gone out and made a whole movie just to talk to me about yeah. how my life feels huh. and like, like, you know, discovering, you know, an old poem or something that just absolutely captures you. And so I, that was the moment when I think I very first thought about filmmaking as um, something that, uh, made sense to me mm -hmm. um, that was, you know, that, that, that had some connection to. And, um, and then uh, I, but I didn't even apply to film school. Like after that, I, I, um, I applied to like a bunch of theater programs, like theater writing programs. Um, and then I didn't even go, I went to grad school for something else for like, you know, international politics. Right. Um, something, something you're going to use, you know, immediately after. <laughs> yeah. I mean, total, I mean, right. Like just a total waste of time, but yeah. um, I think, I, I mean, I don't know where, where to go with it really, but um, it, it really hit me like uh, when I, I, so after grad school, I went to go work for the state department um, I was an analyst at the State Department because um, I had done all this other work to get there, and um, and I hated it. And I yeah. realized that the one thing that I really wanted to be doing was writing, yeah. um, because I would sneak off, I would take the longest lunch break that I could, and I would just like sneak away with a journal and a pencil or a pen, and and just write write out stories and script ideas and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, How long did you? right before you're like, okay, I think I have something that I should try to show somebody. Oh God. Um, man, I don't know. I showed some embarrassing stuff to people all on the way, I guess. Um, just, you know, you, you don't really realize like what a finely, I think a, a, for me, I didn't realize what a finely tuned automobile, like a proper script is. Yeah. And, you know, you could put like four wheels 
and even like an engine, you know, on you, you could put that out there and you don't realize that when, how, how shitty that looks to people until, right. you know, until it's, it's at the point where like, wow, you know, it's gotta be really, really good. Like, I remember I wrote a really, like, I had a, a, a friend of mine was shot and killed in the Middle East. Mm. And I wrote a screenplay. My first screenplay was kind of inspired by what happened to him. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, uh, I showed that to somebody in Hollywood that I happened to know through a friend of a friend and they just kind of like yelled at me <laughs> that it like wasn't formatted properly. Hmm. And I was like, I didn't give a shit that it was formatted, but it's like my friend was shot and killed. And like, here's yeah. like my blood and tears on the page. And you know, what I, I thought was this like amazing story and at, at least it was like a meaningful story to me. And I was, I mean, I had like, you know, cr cried and cried when I was writing it. And, and, and also it was the first feature length script that I had written. So I was really proud of it. And I sent it off to this guy in Hollywood and he basically wrote back, like, I'm not going to read this. It's not even formatted. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was like, Oh my God. Like, you know, and like at the time what's running through, what's running through my head is like, what an asshole. You know, but like looking back now, um, no, like you, like I just wasn't, everything was, everything happened as it was meant to happen. Like that was the lesson I was being taught for free, format your stuff correctly. Yeah. Right. Like that's it. Just format your stuff correctly. It's not a hard lesson, but, um, you know, that was one of many, many things sure, to learn sure. along the way, but. Sure. Going that route, and this conversation comes up all the time, the film school or no film school. And, you know, there's people on both sides that go, you know, you, you need to go, you have to go. And then there's the people that go, don't ever go. It's the biggest waste of time, you know, but there are things like you hear stories about, oh, your script isn't formatted the right way. It doesn't get read or you're, you know, or you're trying to get funding and you're, you know, who, what have you worked on before? Like, there's all these conversations that come up for you not going the film school route, how did you go about learning this? Was it just looking at other scripts? Was it, was it finding mentorship? Was it a little bit of all of the above? Yeah, it was all of the above. No, uh, there wasn't much mentorship out there. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I used to buy scripts, those guys uh, who have tables, um, you know, down at Astor place in New York city, they've got like tables, you know, I, I still remember buying like star Wars and Raiders and going through them and being like, oh, okay, this is how you do it. This has form. I get it. I get it. You know, starting to put together bought all you know so many books you know at the bookstore about how to write scripts structure scripts all that you read it you read it um you know i mean that stuff is is um i, I don't it's not complicated you just it's you know you, you just do it uh, i don't think you have to go to school for it um uh and then um you know i didn't then i i I got really excited about this story that I discovered um, uh, that to me was kind of like, <clears throat> it was kind of like a mix of all these worlds that I had been uh, in. Um, so I, I, I read this book about um, this 23 year old grad student that um, discovered, this is in 1971, he discovered that the, um, the vast majority of the heroin trade around the world was actually being run by the CIA. 
and um, he set out to prove it. And um, he had to go to um, Southeast Asia in the middle of the Vietnam War and um, actually hunt these CIA operatives down to, to, to actually sort of nail the story down. And they, they tried to kill him and he got away with it. And he published this incredible book that tells the whole story. And I was like, this guy's amazing. He's, he's, I had had one foot in, in international politics for a long time. And I knew that very few people actually know what's kind of really going on. And then I had grown up watching like Indiana Jones and I was like, here he is. He's the real thing, you know? Um, so I bought his, I optioned his life rights or the rights to his book um and set out to to write a script about that i was like this is just a great story I, I, and um and then that's that was a massive journey to to get that story right um you know i'd only written really one uh solid um script before uh and nobody had any interest in it you know so um that was I think that that script was really like sending that out to everybody that I could. Um, and I finally sent it to this guy on my, this, this guy who had dated a girl I had dated in college and I liked Net him. Networking baby. That's yeah, awesome. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, we'd met like twice, but he was a nice guy I, and I liked him and I sent, and it turned out that he was, um, he was like way smarter than me and really was like working his way up in Hollywood as a producer or as a network exec. And, um, and uh, I think he was at Miramax at the time and he read my email because, you know, whatever we weren't, it hadn't been that far from college and my script. And he, he thought it was great. Um, it wasn't for him, you know, but uh, he thought it was great. And he called, um, he called a few agencies on my behalf and he was like, you should get an agent. Like you, you, you know what you're doing. And, um, and so I ended up speaking to a couple agents, um, who I think were all really shocked at like how much I didn't know about yeah. the industry, about how it works, about how you make it. Um, but there was an agent who decided to kind of, say yeah i'll send this around a little bit for you right um and uh he got nowhere um and I, I you know looking back i think what i would say is like that script had a lot of potential but it hadn't actually delivered on it surely sure. um and uh, you know, it would have been great to have had like a really good mentor at that point to be like, okay, I see where you're going and here's what you need to do. Right. Um, you know, people don't really pop out of the woodwork to do that very often. Yeah. Right. They're trying um, to sell their own scripts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I remember, uh, I ended up talking to, uh, through a friend of a through a friend, I ended up talking to um, the guy who wrote um, JFK with Oliver Stone. Mm -hmm. um, and, he, and the, you know, I had one conversation with him and he basically was like, listen, kid, don't write screenplays. Just don't do it. Like, it sucks. You know, I wrote JFK with Oliver Stone and, you know, never really was able to sell another script again. 
because that's the kind of town this is. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Like that was the closest thing that I ever got to mentorship was like that 45 do seconds <laughs> with that guy. Like, just don't do it. Um, and uh, then, um, you know, and, and again, like if I look back at this piece of writing that I did, that I, that I labored over for maybe a year and a half, you know, filled with excitement and enthusiasm and knowing at its base that there is a story there, a right. really incredible story. Um, I still don't, you know, I didn't get it right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it was like, you know, you could sort of sniff out some potential. Right. And, right. Um, but, but I kept editing it and editing it and um, eventually it got, I, I sent it to just a friend of mine to read. Yeah. And, um, and he really liked it. And then he um, got it into the hands of um, Barry, do you know Barry, Barry Levinson? Um, mm -hmm. Into one of Barry, a, a, a new producer for Barry Levinson. And uh, he really liked it. He liked the style, and he knew through my through my friend that I was kind of like a young writer um, right. who was looking for an opportunity. And so he called with an opportunity. He was like, "Hey, I liked your script. Um, you know, we've got this other idea that we're thinking about pursuing. Like, you know, do you want to um, send in like a pitch for that?" And I again, I didn't even know what a pitch was. Um, like I, I really like, I mean, I, you know, I knew, but I didn't know, you know, right. Right. And so, um, I decided that the, I would write him a short story. And so I wrote him a short story, like really intensely spent like three days, just like smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee and, and writing. And, um, he really liked that short story. And, um, I got that. That's how I ended up getting hired to write my first movie. Okay. So yeah, I was, cause when I was looking at, at the Bay and looking at, you know, the type of, then Barry Levinson being attached makes no, cause it's such a weird in his filmography. It's such like a different movie. <laughs> like it's such a different vibe and such a different style than I think what you're used to seeing, like, you know, all the other movies he's worked on. Um, so he reached out, he reached out to you then. Yeah. Yeah. It makes no sense. The whole thing. Yeah. It, this really <laughs> makes, makes less no sense. sense, but he reached out. So he reached out with the story of the Bay, like he reached <laughs> no. out or was it a totally different project at that point? Um, he reached out. Okay. So. And for those he, listening, yeah. this is the director of like rain man. Okay. So it's a, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like this is a departure from his, uh, his normal vibe. Oh yeah, I mean the natural, you know, Good Morning Vietnam. These these big, giant, sweeping, you know, pieces of film history. Really. Yeah, De Niro yeah. dramas, like all, yeah, all down the line. Yeah, I mean, it's just it was it was totally insane that that they were even calling. You know, um, it made no sense, um, but it happened. Um, so what it what, what I found out was that uh or what jason his producer told me is like look um barry had been barry has a house on the chesapeake bay okay or he did 
And uh, so he had learned that the bay is really polluted, like it's really polluted. And so the locals there had come to him or like an association come to him and said, hey, you should make a documentary about how polluted the bay is. Like, this is ridiculous, you know? And, um, and so he went and saw like there already is a documentary about how polluted the bay is and like nothing changed and doesn't matter. And so what's the point of making another documentary about it? Um, so then he was like, well, what if I made like a, we tried to actually do like a, like a genre movie about it, you know, some kind of thriller or horror thing that would be very commercial that would, you know, get word out about the bay. And um, so uh, that's what they called me. They're like, can you write a horror movie about water pollution in the Chesapeake Bay? And that, that was, was it. That was, that was the it. whole thing. That was okay. the whole thing. We a, a horror movie about water pollution in the Chesapeake Bay. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I can. For sure. You know, like definitely just, just give me like six hours, you know? Is there anything he could have said? Like, Hey, write something about this where you would have been like, no, or he'd have been like, yeah, of course. Sure. <laughs> let's, let's go. Yeah, for yeah, it. yeah. No, no, no. I mean, listen, like what, a, like imagine you walked into like, you know, Sony and you're like, I got it. I got this killer idea. I'm going to make a horror movie about water pollution. Like, no, <laughs> you know, right. Well, yeah. Like it, it's, it's already, it's already kind of a weird nugget, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I would have jumped at anything because this is Barry Levinson. It made no sense. Like, I couldn't believe it, that they were calling, you know? Um, so then I wrote, uh, I mean, if we want to get into the, 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 the nitty details of it. Um, and, and by the way, I, what I learned at that time through this process is that you, you can write a short story to get yourself work, right? That's not true. <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up learning, I ended up writing that story uh, and it ended up getting me this incredible job. And then when other people called, I would write them short stories like later on. And, and everybody goes, was, was like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, it, it worked because they were already wanting you. Yeah, they already That's wanted nice, me. Yeah. Exactly. They yeah. already, um, you know, Barry's very iconoclastic in the way he thinks. Sure. Doesn't, he's, you know, he's really smart. You don't have to put two and two together for him. You right. Know I mean? Well, it's, so, it's kind of that funny thing. Like you always hear these stories about like Sylvester Stallone or Spielberg, like, you know, the, the mythological stories of them, you know, sneaking onto back lots. And it's like, don't sneak on a back lots and try to give someone your script. You know, it's like, there's, there's these stories that worked in these magical ways that like people try to replicate that <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's, well, that's the thing is there's no formula, right. But, right. um, uh, so anyway, I mean, if, uh, so then I, so I wrote this story about this couple that like, um, drives up, uh, upon this small town on the bay and um the whole town's dead or most of the town's dead and they have to figure out what the hell happened in this town right and it's i don't i don't even remember all the details of the story um but that that was like the basic premise and then it turns out that you know the whole town's not dead they're not finished dying the water has really messed them up and now this young couple is being pulled into this 
bizarre scenario, right? Right. So, um, so that's what I sent in. It was, you know, it was like a really like kind of traditional, you know, horror short story. Um, and then uh, Barry, then I got a call from Jason saying, yeah, Barry likes the story he wants to meet in person. And I couldn't believe it. I was, I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't sold a script. Like my agent had this like way of looking at me that made me feel like I was about eight inches tall. Right. You're you like, know? do you have the right number? <laughs> do you know yeah. who I am? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like it was just sucked. And, um, and then here's Barry Levinson. He wants to meet. So I go in and meet him and he ends up showing me this really crazy um, uh, documentary um, uh, I think it was called Three Shots That Changed America, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a montage of footage from the day Kennedy had been uh, mm. killed. And it, that's all it was. It was just a montage. It was just like, here's, you know, the news in Indiana, and here's the news in Boston, and here's the news in Dallas, and here's the news in Seattle. And it was this really interesting um, experience to um, live a moment in time through this montage. And so he just said, I like your story. Can you make the movie something like this? So that was like the next nugget, the next koan, like that. Like that was the guidance. I liked your story. Can you make the movie something like this, like this yeah. three shots? And so. I was like, sure. And he was like, okay, write the script. Do you want all these gory details? Is this yeah, what you're yeah, because I'm yeah, because I'm curious. Like looking at it, where like say the found footage angle comes in. Are you approaching it? So initially, you approached it very traditional, like almost like the birds. Like we're going in, we're going in this town. We've got you know them coming upon this strange thing, which is retained a little bit in the movie. You've got this couple, and they're a thread throughout. But the found footage angle wasn't even because in my mind, again, it's like, okay, paranormal activity two years before, you know, which I think obviously helps sell it to the studio because paranormal activity was a ridiculous, you know, behemoth in the in the box office. Like, but for Levinson, it was more here's the approach of I saw this footage. Can we mimic that feeling like that news kind of approach mm-hmm. which honestly makes sense because there's something there is something of Levinson in that style and obviously it's in the script as well but like when you're watching I always say with found footage like there, it's it really does come down to writing and the performances whether or not the movie works because if there's bad acting and found footage it just looks like a really cheap <laughs> movie uh, but there is something like when you're going through all the parades you're going through all this like that footage feels like actual b-roll of a, you know what I mean? And I, I feel like you can sense like a guy like Levinson is shooting that stuff as opposed to, you know, the low budget, you know, a group of college students go out and shoot with their friends and add some, you know what I mean? Like there's that realness to it and that kind of American celebration vibe happening there. So I was curious at what level that came into the script, or if that was something where you come in with a script, the studio goes, can you make it found footage, which was the call? For oh, no, 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 no. So it's, it, it was at this point then um, after he showed me the um, three shots documentary. Yeah. Um, then I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, we can, we can make it so that 
you know, we're, we're looking at it from all these different perspectives. Yeah. Right. And then the question becomes like, um, how, you know, how do you tell a story that way? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, how, how do you, will that work? Like, yeah. is, is, you know, if we if we don't have a protagonist that we're really following throughout, right. Will, will it work and how's it going to work? And right. um, those, well, those well, kind of questions, you know, and you have that uh, question that every found footage movie has to grapple with is like, why are they filming when all this stuff is happening? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but um, I, I loved that constraint. And I, I think, I mean, one of my problems with the, the final cut of the movie is that there's like a little bit of um, really kind of silly commentary about like meta commentary during the movie of like, mm-hmm. oh, are you sure you, sh- you should be shooting this and that kind of thing? Sure. Which I never wrote, and it, it killed me that that stuff like that made it into the movie. Right. Um, but uh, one of the really great and fun things was just coming up with every possible reason somebody might be, yeah, shooting footage. You know, um, so I I actually think like that was a positive constraint in terms of making the movie. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so going back to the drawing board, like how much did that change that original script? Because, like I said, that you have the couple coming in by boat in the front of the movie, but but how much did that shift the entire first two acts, or was it all very similar? You just kind of swapped out characters to be this reporter figure. Um. Yeah, I would say the original story really like uh, just became like I don't know fifteen percent of the ultimate movie but I, I, it was it, it became like what i ended up doing was like trying to create like six or seven or eight it's been a long time since i've thought about it but um narrative threads mm-hmm. and that was that became one of them so yeah. the idea was like okay now we're going to take like six six or seven short stories and we're just going to weave them all together into right. um into like a whole story mm-hmm. and then um you know, we'll just, we won't get to see everything from every story, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll know enough from all the other stories that even if there's only two scenes with one guy, we understand everything that's happened, you right. know, in between, you know, in this guy's life. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, uh, I'm trying, I'm just, it's been so long, but, um, you know, really like the fundamental pieces were that story. Um, there was a play by Ibsen, um, that I read, uh, I had, I had read relatively, um, uh, close to that moment. Um, that was literally about like a town grappling with, with the economic consequences of like the fact that they pollute and what to do. Um, I'm pretty sure that, they stole Jaws from it as well. You know, <laughs> right. like a lot of people compared my movie to Jaws. Like I had never yeah. once thought about Jaws, but yeah. I was totally ripping off Ibsen. Right. And so did they, you know what I mean? Like, sure. Um, so that was it. That was an angle. And then, um, you know, then it was just like seeing to what degree this whole thing would, would play out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know um, I know that when the movie was coming out, there's like a lot of talk of like, okay, this is 80% true. Like that was like the thing that got said a lot. This is 80% true. And, you know, obviously, you know, that stuff gets hyped up when selling these kind of movies. What was the, 
what was kind of the, was there any research that was being done that was like, okay, this is like, were you approaching it, trying to make it where it's like, this is semi-probable that some of this could happen versus like, I mean, obviously toward the end, it goes, it goes pretty crazy off the rails, I think in a, a cool way. Um, but like, how constrained were you to like, keep it where it could be somewhat realistic versus, you know, at the end you could have switched into now there's zombies, you know, <laughs> you could have gone full blown, you know, crazy mode at the end. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I really wanted it to, to, I'm, I, I'm very earnest and like, I, <laughs> I, I really like, I wanted that research. I wanted that shock value to come through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, that was to me, that was as important as the fact that I was like, getting to write this movie. Right. You know, and so um, I did a ton of research on what was actually going on in the Bay. Um, in fact, I remember I uh, I spent like right after I left Barry's office, I started researching like, well, what's actually going on in the Bay, you know? And um, and then he called like six days later and was like, well, how's the script coming? And I was like, ah, I haven't written anything yet, you know? And he's like, well, you know, let's, let's have something by next week. And I was like, oh my God. All right. I, you know, like that's really fast, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I was so shocked by what the state of like pollution and everything, like they, I really yeah. wanted to get that, that through there. Um, and then, um, I mean, I, I mean, most people haven't seen the movie. I don't know if people who are listening are going to go out, you know, maybe out of curiosity, they People better should go out and, 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 <laughs> and check out the movie after you listen to this. I, I don't know how much I want to give away, but um, that the, uh, you know, we, we needed like, we needed like an, an enemy of some kind mm. that was more than just like bad water. Yeah. Um, right. And something that would like something that, that had like a horror, a horror element to it. Um, mm. So I was starting to piece that together and like, look at things like that. And, look at these like little bugs that, um, you know, can take over like, you know, neuron cells and that kind of thing. But I didn't want to go too zombie-esque yeah. um, because I just felt like that had already been done before. Right. And this was already like such a, like what we were building here now was really like new in terms yeah. of film space. And if we were going to just turn it back into a zombie film, that would kind of suck. Um, does, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it make, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of things that, um, you know, because I, I rewatched, I had seen it, I mean, I'd seen it like a couple of years ago and then I'd rewatched it just recently prepping for this and, and revisiting. And um, and there were a lot of pieces where I was like, they I feel like they could have gone to the, this place, but they didn't. And there was like, there were moments where I was like, okay, there's a lot of restraint not going. Cause I feel like a lot of the same movie would have ended with like, now it's in their brain and now they're attacked, you know, or there's like a super host and there's like 10 connect, you know, that would have gone off the rails, but I kind of respected that it stayed in like this. It's obviously like still an insane premise, but like it's, it tries to live within its rules in a way where it's like, okay, if this extreme crazy thing happened, this is how it would happen, you know? And um, the other thing that really stood out to me was like found footage has kind of aged well in the sense of like, it feels like a retro 
movie in a lot of ways where it feels like a 2004 because there's almost things and i've noticed this even watching like george romero's diary of the dead or watching like other found footage movies that have come out is like it almost helps them like it helps it helps the effects because the effects you know are covered up a little bit it helps the the feeling and it helps kind of transport you back to like that's what my camera footage looked like in 2000 and you know 10 or 2011 like there's it, it helps the it helps the project a little bit um but yeah it was just interesting re-watching it and just looking at it really looking at the filmmaking as opposed to just looking at the film um and then obviously i mean i i love i mentioned romero like i love anything about the government is not helping its own. Uh, so watching all those scenes where they're going back and forth, trying to figure out what it is, were were really fun to watch. Um, it was that back. was. I mean, that was really funny because I had in the script, um, and I had worked in the government, you know, yeah. for a while at, at different branches. So you're basing and, on your coworkers, like, here we go. Let's, <laughs> absolutely, let's absolutely. And and so I had this. I, I don't remember what government agency it was or something, but it was like the the. Uh, FDA or the CDC something and, and uh, you know talking about how um, irresponsible they would be in this kind of situation and then um, and then Barry uh, was like oh you know I actually have a friend who works for one of those uh, you know uh, places uh, why don't we call him and ask like how they would respond you know yeah and then we called and they were like oh yeah yeah no that's that's that the script's right you know like right <laughs> I mean, t- tell me a little bit like post that, like, was, was your, was your instinct to go like, I want to try to make something else. Was it, you know, was it kind of like, okay, I did it. And I feel like I, I got a script out there, you know, there's that accomplishment. What do I do now? Like, what was, what were next steps for you? Like, what did you, what did you aim toward after that? Oh God. I just launched myself into nothingness. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, like very excitedly went off and did nothing um i started taking like meetings i didn't really understand what people wanted from meetings right Um, you know uh there was this like brief period where i all these assistants and producers and stuff wanted to meet and i got to do that like whole hollywood tour thing a little bit right um i didn't really understand what they wanted and then people did want things they wanted like bizarre things that didn't make sense to me um, or I really didn't want to do. Um, So there was like, I don't know, there were, there were some folks who wanted like uh, they wanted like a horror movie that takes place in a dog kennel where like all the dogs just constantly attack everyone. And it was just like a big time director who wanted this. And I was like, I'm trying so hard to want to write for this guy. You know, and like, I don't want a movie. I don't want to write a movie where like dogs attack everybody for two hours. And then like, right. obviously what's going to happen? You're going to shoot the dogs. Yeah. So then you're going to have people attacking dogs. And I was like, ah, like I just, you know, that's the last thing I want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of, a, a fair amount of like conversations like that. People being like, yeah, why don't you do something like this? Um, I... I was trying to pitch my movie about the CIA's involvement in heroin with people. Um, Nobody was interested in that at all. There was a brief period where I was talking to somebody. uh, So that will, that guy, that director will remain unnamed, but a major director. Uh, 
I was a brief period where I was talking to JJ Abrams uh office and I ended up writing this like really trippy submarine story mm-hmm. for them. Um but uh for some reason that went nowhere. Um yeah. the guy that I was writing it for kind of he seemed kind of into it. Um but like you know, unless you're meeting with like he was just one of many producers that worked for JJ Abrams. I don't even know if he had his ear or not. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like it, 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 you know, everything was sort of a, you know, there's all these politics, layers of politics yeah. that are happening in offices and everything. Um, but anyway, I ended up writing this like really bizarre, um, awesome short story for him um, about like a submarine that finds this new creature in the depths of the ocean. And, um, the impact of that um and uh that went absolutely nowhere uh i ended up pitching a bunch of weird horror movies to various directors um those all went absolutely nowhere and was that out of you pursuing like just similar to what you had done with the bay or was it something where it was like you were interested in that genre like did you feel like you needed to pitch in horror because that's what you had proven that yeah, you had that, done that's, it- that's kind of like what everybody was was that like people were telling me to do yeah they're like just double down in that genre yeah. space yeah i mean well at the same time i'm trying to pitch this like you know yeah, the this, cia like, script and cia yeah. script and um uh and then this like you know my like submarine movie was a total like sci-fi it has not hard at all it was like yeah. a like a sci-fi trippy drama you know yeah. um so i was kind of just being open to it but when you know when i was asked to pitch like oh we want a pitch for this thing that was all horror yeah like that 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 would that would be like you have a pitch meeting you know coming up for whatever i don't even remember what it was but like you know the exorcist for whatever you know right and they'd be like we you know this is what we want and so then i would go back and i would watch like all the things and i would think about it and because this was like my chance you know this is like so um i ended up doing that and then i got really frustrated with it all um and ended up just writing another spec script um because the whole experience of pitching and having these conversations with people and creating material for them um was unbelievably frustrating yeah it's just unbelievably frustrating yeah. you went from like government politics to hollywood politics and <laughs> dealing with all the same roadblocks and craziness yeah yeah exactly exactly um and uh so yeah so i threw all my effort into just writing i a, a spec script idea that i had um that was more of like a, th- yeah, like kind of in the thriller horror space, more in the thriller space, um, sci-fi thriller. And um, and then uh, that script I sent to my agent and got a really good response uh, yeah. on that um, and ended up... Um, uh my agent ended up sending that to um 
two of the producers who had produced the bay and um they basically fought over it a little bit Mm. and so i got like a little bit of a bidding war going on for that uh which was really exciting yeah um and so i sold that like right away Mm. and um and that was great because it was like oh awesome okay yeah and now you know now we're in great shape now i know what i'm doing i've made i've sold two movies um so now then i was starting to like feel it i was like okay here we go my agent like called with this other director and he was like there they want to hire you to write a script based on this concept and they showed Mm -hmm. me like a short short film that they made and i was like great let's do it and i banged out a script for them in like three weeks Mm -hmm. no less two weeks really four days really like four (laughs) days but like let's call it two weeks okay and and I like, I was like, okay, I've got the script for them. And my agent was like, oh, they're gone. Sorry, that was a fuck up. You know? But, and I was like, I just killed myself to write this, you know, script for these guys. And he's like, well, you shouldn't do that. Right. And I was like, and that's what everybody in Hollywood will tell you. Like, as far as I'm concerned, everybody's constantly telling me, never write a word for anybody <laughs> until there's a signed contract. Right. That's what every single agent manager will tell you. Okay. That may be true, but if that were true, you'd never get any work. Yeah. Like I would never have gotten any work. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, Anyway. Well, before we transition to kind of what you're, what you're working on lately, I'm, I am curious to know, and I think you kind of answered this, but like, there's a lot of people, I think coming at it from the, the artist. And I noticed this from photographers, filmmakers videographers like i and i it's one of my big you know one of my big frustrations with like the photography community so i i shoot so like i i love filming i love doing stuff and like i've done a lot of free work to open doors to get other projects you know like that's i to me like that's that's the approach you know it's like i'm gonna work with somebody i'm gonna offer value and then you know that pays off in some way down the road and then you have other people who go like don't ever work for free you know don't ever do that like do you feel like more people should be willing to do just put out work do you think there should be more because it seems to me like the people that advise you not to do it are not the people that are going to make things happen (laughs) it seems like the people that actually control and and are able to hire are the ones that are looking for people who are already putting work out there consistently you know um, I mean, honestly, far be it for me to give advice to anyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, uh, I, I don't, I could give advice, but I can't tell you whether it's better to follow it or to do the opposite of what I know. No formula. And, you know, um, but my experience has been that, um, I've maybe I've lost a lot of work because I, I, I wrote something bad hmm. that people didn't like. But at the same time, the only work I've ever gotten was from writing something and just putting it out there and right. having people like it. Getting eyeballs on and it. so, you know what I mean? I think like that's, you know, not every pitch you throw is going to be a strike. And, you know, yeah. sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes you're going to strike out with, you know, what you're trying to do. Like, it's right. just, 
that's just how it is. Like, um, right. and yeah. So uh, moving into now, I mean, um, so we, I mean, we talked about a fictional uh, approach to how the government handles diseases. This is a good, this is a great segue. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so tell me a little bit about the viral delusion, like how that kicked off, what your approach to going, like, did you try pitching that to anybody? Did you try approaching or was it something you're just like, I'm going to try to do this on my own and just make this my project? Uh, I don't see yeah, it being a, I, a popular Hollywood uh, pitch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I knew right from the start. Um that I was never going to be able to pitch this in Hollywood. Like it's mm-hmm. just, that's never going to fly. Um, but I also felt like this is the most seismic story I, I, I ever could possibly have imagined. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's such an incredibly interesting story um, that, um, you know, part of me was, was approaching it as an activist, but really like there was a, just as big, if not a bigger part of me, that was just like, this is just such an incredible story. Like, I, I want to tell the story. Like, it's 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 an honor to be hmm. associated with telling the story. And um, so then, uh, and, and and so I knew I was just gonna have to do it. If if it, if it was gonna happen, I was gonna have to do it. Um, I called a friend of mine. I spoke to a friend of mine, um, and was like, "What do you think? Do you think you know?" it'd be a good idea to make a movie about this. And he was like, yeah, definitely. Um, and so uh, he was like, I'll, I'll make it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a little like support there. Um, and then, um, you know, my big question was like, are, are the really important scientists that I needed to talk to going to talk to me? Yeah. Um, that, that was like, I had no idea. And then I found out that this, like, so the very first person that I spoke to, um, was a, uh, a Harvard trained, uh, gynecologist from the eighties named Nancy Taylor Banks. And, um, she, uh, is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And she talks about her experience during the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, in two books that she wrote and a number of interviews that she did. And I, I was just blown away by her work. And um, so the first thing I did was I reached out to her. I was like, would you, you know, talk to me for this documentary? Mm-hmm. And she wrote back very personally, like, um, Mike, you know, I'm glad you're doing it, but nobody's going to listen, first of all. Mm-hmm. And second of all, because that was my experience as this doctor during the AIDS crisis, um, and secondly, I, I just can't bring myself emotionally to get involved again hmm. because they, they, it was so, it was so hard to, to try to speak out against um, what people thought was going on and try to explain what was actually going on. Right. That, um, you know, we were, we, the scientific community who disagreed with the government were destroyed in the eighties. You know, our mm-hmm. careers were destroyed. Our lives were destroyed. No. And, um, I, and she just basically wrote to me, like, I can't do it. Hmm. I'm not, I, 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 you know, so that get, put this sort of like weight on my shoulders of like, all right, well that there's two ways to go then. Like I can acknowledge that, that that's true and just kind of give up, which is a legitimate perspective to have. Right. I really, I think so. It's totally legitimate. 
but I hadn't, I didn't have those like bruises yet. Um, so I thought, well, I don't want to give up yet. I'd like to, to, to keep going. So the second person I called was this absolutely incredible, um, uh, bi biologist in Germany. Um, and, uh, he, uh, called back like, yeah, I would love to, you know, have you tell my story. And, um, and so I, I was like, holy shit. Like hmm. he's willing to talk to me. So once I once I talked to Stefan Lanka, who's just this like, I mean, he's way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. And um, then I started calling all these other people, and it turned out there were tons of doctors and scientists who were dying to speak because the um, the whole COVID narrative was about silencing them, hmm. and they were they wanted to speak out. They they knew things that um, weren't getting out there sure. um, and and so they they were thrilled about it yeah yeah i was curious like approaching it and addressing the subject like obviously it was a super polit i mean still is a super politicized thing um like were you how did you approach that because like i think it you know what gets mentioned about like oh not being heard on the conversation you know or not and and you know i think you know everybody's got their own whatever perspectives on all this like were you worried about getting thrown into just like oh this is a crazy right-wing you know documentary like were you you know like how did you go in trying to approach it where it's not like just a you know not feeling like it's just hey here's the other unpopular side you know like how did yeah, you yeah, go yeah. about well i mean the, the, it, it's a great question um because i thought a lot about it because you could have uh, leaned into that hard is what i'm saying is like you could have you could have gotten the 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 right you know whatever if you want to keep the split camps you could have gone in the the approach of uh dinesh d'souza kind of like we're going to go full bore this realm you know which would have garnered i think a lot of attention or also you know and also would have shut down your I, you know, anybody who would be on the other side, who'd be curiously checking it out. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm, I mean, I grew up very, like I, I identified as somebody who was left wing, you know, like right. I, I, my whole life. Um, yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> my wife and I are like the only people we know that have like actually read their marks. Like I'm not talking mm -hmm. about the communist manifesto. I'm talking about like, you know, Das Kapital, like all the volumes and the addendums, like I, you know, I had read my shit, you know, mm -hmm. like, so um, I always saw the world through, um, an, you know, a, an analysis of capitalism, like that's, yeah. I, I think, if you don't have that perspective, you're, you're missing out on, you know, a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but so, so it was funny when, when people started saying like, oh, if you don't agree with the government narrative or the mainstream narrative on COVID, you're a right winger. Yeah. Like, well, right. I'm not a right winger. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, and, and I don't agree for, you know, because mm -hmm. I had done all this research that, you know, uh, so uh, I wasn't really worried about that whole right wing thing mm -hmm. because it's just not it's not who I am. It didn't yeah. really trigger anything for me. Um, but then the question became like, what, how do you tell a story about science? Mm -hmm. And that, I think that is um, a really interesting uh, thing that we've seen 
develop over the last couple of years. There's mm -hmm. all sorts of storytelling that's going on about science. Um, and people recognize it. They don't recognize it. Um, I started to see it all over the place. And, um, you know, what I decided to do at the end of the day was say, look, no matter what you think uh, is going on, I want to tell you the story of this group of scientists and mm -hmm. doctors who all independently see the exact same thing happening. Right. And it's totally different than what you've heard. And that's kind of magical and amazing. So mm -hmm. let's see, why do these independent doctors and scientists who aren't even talking to each other, um, why did, what, what, what is it that they're seeing? What is it that they're experiencing? Um, hmm. What have they seen go, go down? Yeah. I thought that was enough of a hook. Yeah, yeah. So the the process of that was it. It was pretty much all virtual, right? I mean, most of the the way you were going about no, it. No, it was like weirdly semi virtual. Um, so I started shooting a couple like Zoom things, mm -hmm. and I realized that the quality was so bad that nobody was going to pay attention. It's just yeah. it, it, it's amazing. So um, then. I called a friend of mine who used to, um, who's like a real deal, you know, like a legit photographer and asked him if he would, um, shoot the interviews. And I, he, it was just so great to get some really beautiful yeah. footage that at that point, if I had to shoot somebody in Germany, I would just call everybody I knew in Germany and until I found a videographer, yeah. you know, same thing in England. I would just call everybody that I knew in England until I could find somebody that could shoot there. So. Gotcha. Um, yeah. gotcha. So you kind of just guided somebody local to shoot, basically. Yeah, we would like set up a Zoom like laptop conversation, but then a, a cinematographer would be there gotcha. shooting the conversation. That's a cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool approach to that. Um, yeah, I wanted to, wanted to ask about that and and how you went about approaching that because um, it is it's a it's a it's obviously a hot topic, um, and then obviously to go about. Um, I was curious if you went about trying to promote that anywhere, if it was just like, I'm going to release this myself, go that route and try to try to push it out. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, trying to get that film out has been a fascinating experience. I mean, I went to every, like every small distributor mm -hmm. that I could come up with that I could find. And um, just wouldn't they, they won't touch it. They wouldn't yeah. touch it. They absolutely wouldn't touch it. Hmm. Um, and it's just amazing to me because it's 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 such an extraordinary story and it's yeah. so important yeah. whether even if you don't agree with it uh even if you don't agree with the analysis that these doctors and scientists are offering it's worth hearing you yeah. know it's worth right. hearing um you can't really make up your mind unless you've heard what other perspectives have sure you know right. uh, no n none of the small i mean even like the guys who put out like vaxxed mm -hmm. they wouldn't touch it Hmm. Um, the, everybody was too scared. Um, yeah. even like journeyman pictures out of England, which has done a lot of stuff. They wouldn't touch it. Um, hmm. nobody would touch it. Uh, even, um, you know, even like some news, uh, stuff that, that, uh, had been very critical of the narrative all along. Um, they, you know, and, and it was like, months of calling these people and emailing yeah. them and trying to get somebody like to actually respond back to me and all that. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was totally like self, uh, you know, just kind of like hitting the pavement. 
Um, So at the end of the day, um, I ended up putting it out on, um, you know, on, on one of these like streaming websites that, that let you, you know, build your own streaming platform. Um, and then the feedback started coming in like, oh my God, this is like, not to blow my own horn or whatever, but like, I mean, just, it just started coming in like, like, this is the greatest documentary I've ever seen in my life. Like Mm. this is, this, this is like single-handedly the most important thing I've ever seen, you know, and we were getting that over and over and over and over again. Um, and so now we're starting to like get more and more and more momentum, right? Um, right which is cool. And we're actually going to be on like a, um, you know, like we, I made just made a deal with the streaming service. Um, that we're coming out and on a streaming service uh, in like two weeks. Cool. Um, you yeah. know, we're. I don't. I think we're about to get like a huge um, publicity announcement. Uh, like we're going to be on like a very 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 popular. Um, website um hmm. so but it's it's taken time and it's taken yeah time it's get to get all the pieces moving first before that could happen but yeah de- definitely uh let me know um when that happens because it might be before this gets released so i can always include a link to that uh for people who are listening even after it gets released i can go back and edit edit the show notes there um <laughs> to, to promote that um but yeah um i know we're here at the end, uh, I want to ask you a couple quick rapid fire questions. I ask everybody that comes on the show. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll wrap here. Um, first, what is the best decade of film history? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, I mean, jeez, oh man, the best decade of film history. I mean, I grew up in the eighties, like, you know, it, for me, it was the eighties. It was, I mean, I, I'll say, all right, 75 to 85. Okay, that's great. I, I, and I think I'd be exactly where you're at. I think the late 70s and early 80s is the best. I think like the latter half of the 80s, you have, no, uh, yeah, it's, it's it a little bit of a dive bomb into the 90s. But yeah, um, sure. yeah late 70s, early 80s is a great, uh, great, great period. Um, yeah. What's a film that uh, people who know you would be surprised that you enjoy? like a guilty pleasure or yeah i'd say a a guilty pleasure um damn man i mean uh people who know me would be surprised that i enjoy um maybe like any given sunday Hmm. like um most people like don't think of me as like a guy that likes football and stuff like that you know, but we I, all love Pacino, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but uh, I mean, it depends who you ask. Like, um, I really like this weird Japanese movie called Onibaba. Hmm. Um, that uh, uh, I like this like weird, dreamy um, horror movie called Carnival of Souls. Oh, yeah, uh, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot. I mean, I don't know. Uh, if you were given the green light to remake any film, what would you choose and why? Oh, God, to remake any film? I mean, well, first of all, I just saw Legend last night, that like bizarre adventure fantasy with Tom mm-hmm. Cruise. I, that definitely needs a remake. That that was that was like kind of a walking disaster, that movie. But um, 
I, I would I would love to remake that. Hey, he, uh, he he came back for Top Gun. We'll do Legend Two next. That'll be the yeah. that'll be the next <laughs> Legacy sequel. The last thing I want to see is like a fifty-five-year-old Tom <laughs> jumping around in his underwear in the forest. Like, I think we've seen enough Tom Cruise jumping around over the years. I don't uh, know. I don't know. It's still a box yeah. office draw. I don't know. Yeah, you could be right. Um, if I could remake anything. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I do want to remake Carnival of Souls. I've always wanted to remake mm. that movie. Yeah, that that is a movie that I think I'm hesitant to say it could because I think a lot of the energy of that movie is that it there is like a handmade quality to it because it's like just low budget enough, but it's also very well made. So like it's my fear would be they'd go the CGI like jump scare you know kind of vibe with instead of that atmospheric yeah you know because it, yeah, it almost yeah. i've never thought about it until you said dreamlike it does feel very like fulci-esque like that same energy of like you kind of get what's going on but it's like a little bit just in that weird dream space but i think if you went really low budget like an a24 style version of that would be really interesting like that that kind of it's interesting. Start writing uh, and <laughs> start, start pitching out. But no, I, I think that would actually be a really, that's a really good one. I think when I ask that question, sometimes people go like, oh, my favorite movie, it, you know, this. And then I'm like, why would you remake it? You know, so it's always stuff like for me, there's a, there's a movie called Death Dream um, that is about a Vietnam vet coming back and he's, he's a zombie, um, but he's basically has this, thirst for blood and he's changed it's this commentary on how war changes you um and that's a movie where i'm like with slightly better effects and like a little bit of budget that could be a really cool movie um mm. but I, I like those those kind of projects um the last question i'll ask you here you've given some advice throughout but what's the best piece of advice uh you would give to someone who's an aspiring filmmaker listening to this <laughs> don't listen to me don't do it kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't in, listen to me, in the man. words of my mentor don't don't ever do it you know yeah exactly exactly yeah. um i mean what i've what i tell myself i i don't know what to tell other people what i tell myself is that um the it really is true that like uh every like every time i get punched in the face in this industry and it happens all the time mm -hmm. um you you can actually grow from that experience mm -hmm. um and i think that um you do again i tell myself whether this is true or not that um by becoming a better writer mm -hmm. um i am becoming a more um connected like a more understanding human being hmm. uh, and uh the structure of storytelling and the structure of film um it forces you to understand like what motivates us what how we work as animals as mm -hmm. thinkers um we if if my scripts have failed um they have failed because i i still haven't internalized all of that hmm. well enough yet yeah. and i do think that um 
you know, as I become a more fluent writer, you know, 10, 15 years in now, um, it, it's, it does help me. Um, it's satisfying. There is, there, there, you are sort of approaching something that is, uh, hidden about the structure of the mind and the heart and, um, and, uh, you know, what lets you tell a good story. Oh, I love that. Well, I, I thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this and, uh, have this conversation and, um, really appreciate all the insights into the, the nitty gritty details of, of kind of the process. And, uh, I, I wish you the best with all your future work. Um, looking forward to the carnival of souls remake that you're, uh, you're beginning right now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but thanks again so much for taking the time to do this. It, it means a lot to me. Ah, well, thank you very much for, for, for having me on. Um, as I said, I've been, I've been on like all these alternative, uh, health, uh, <laughs> podcasts and, and, you know, shows like that. And, uh, it's nice to just go back to, um, you're like, you want to talk about, about movies. movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's, yeah. that's just great. No, so thank, thank you. Yeah. Thanks again. And, uh, let me know if there's anything I can ever do uh, to support what you're doing. I, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the film school podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe. So you won't miss a single episode.